Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello. A hearty springtime welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the program designed to help us overcome challenges and transitions of our middle years so that middle age does indeed become the prime time of our lives. Let me begin this segment by asking you this question. What are you afraid of? I don't know about you, but so many go through the burdened, <clears throat> burdened uh, down, life burdened down by financial fearful memories, troubling recollections from the past lodged deep inside that are storehouses of pain and hurt. And these painful memories can seem impossible to dislodge. They keep coming back generating profound fear that similar circumstances might happen again. And sometimes we may not even be aware of when, where, or precisely how a fearful memory began. And aware of specific circumstances or not, fearful memories can trigger tremendous pain and prevent us from thriving and enjoying our lives today. And worst of all, they can prevent us from taking courageous action to transform the rest of our lives for the better. The sad result, we all continue to muddle through our present uninspiring pattern of living where we're certain uh, to remain unfulfilled, stuck, or on neutral, and out of alignment with the higher self we were created to be. And here's a common suggestion. How often have you heard someone tell another to bury a bad memory? Well, guess what? My guest, Carla Marie Manley, Ph.D., is here to explain why burying a bad memory actually gives it more power over you. And she contends that instead of denying fear, you need to face it and actually learn from your fear. And before I introduce her, here are a few of Dr. Manley's accomplishments. She's a clinical psychologist based in Sonoma County, California, Recognized as an authority on fear and fear-based disorders such as trauma, anxiety, and desperate and depression, and uh, with a doctorate in clinical psychology and a master's degree in counseling, her highly personalized approach focuses on utilizing transformational fear uh, to in the self-growth and healing process. And she's author of the brand new book we'll talk about today. Joy from Fear, Create the Life of Your Dreams by Making Fear Your Friend. And hello, Dr. Manley. We are indeed honored to have you as a guest with us today. Thank you for having me. It's a joy. Thank you. Well, to begin, you inform us there are two basic faces of fear, constructive and destructive. How do you define these two aspects of fear, and what's the best way for a listener to distinguish between the two? Okay, so you're going right to the heart of it. Uh, The way we can look at fear is that there's rational fear, fear of being 
run over by a car if you're not in the crosswalk. Rational fear based based in reality. It makes sense. Then we have the entire other part of life where we have irrational fears. (laughs) And these irrational fears are often very unconscious and they're you know they're this script in the brain and sometimes in the body telling us to be afraid of things that really we don't need to be afraid of and probably one of those really common fears that everyone can identify with is fear of um speaking in public on some level, right? (laughs) Going up on that stage. And what are we afraid of, right? There's this irrational fear running around saying, you're going to make a fool of yourself. You're going to be booed and you're going to fall and people are going to see that, you know, your, your, your pants are unzipped and, you know, something, right? So we have these fears. And that's a really lighthearted one, but it can be really debilitating. So those irrational fears that often run our personal relationships, the the relationship with the self that tells us maybe we're not good enough or that we're, you know, getting life wrong, those are all irrational fears. And, and so you, the had thing- a, you have a blog that uh, talks about fear getting per- physical and um, there are four powerful ways that destructive Fear holds us back, and I thought those were enjoyable. What are those four destructive fears that hold us back? Well, the way that you can look at that is that we can have these fears that tell us we're not good enough, that compare us to other people, that tell us. Right, and and that's actually a big one right yeah, there. Yeah, I like what you say. Fear often gets physical. At um, our physical body, we don't think it's good enough, and it gets nasty because it gives us negative messages about our self worth that really have nothing at all to do with, uh, you know, how we appear. And it thrives on comparison, as you pointed out. We start envying something that somebody else has, and we feel great until somebody looks better than us or seems smarter than us and it's also very judgmental (laughs) we always like to compare ourselves with others when we look better than someone else (laughs) right and you can see how that is such an empty pursuit because we see somebody driving a fancy car and we say oh i want that car so we buy it whether we have the money or not and we say, I'll feel better when I have that fancy and then car. Then we drive up or and that. down the street so our neighbors will see us driving. And then that car gets Or we buy that, you know, new Rolex or the new necklace or the fancy shoes and think, okay, now I'll be happy. <laughs> well, well, you've no. come up with a great definition. Uh, what's the definition for your term transformational fear? It's a brand new uh, brand of kind of fear that uh, has a positive life-changing power. Yes, and what transformational fear is, is when you learn to look at destructive fear and you look at that fear that says, okay, what's what's motivating me to go out and buy that new car I can't afford? Okay, what's motivating me? Oh, what's motivating me is that I think people are judging me for driving a model that's three years old. Okay, what is that about? Let's go down a little deeper. That means I have a fear of not being worthy for who I am, right? Then we look at that irrational fear, the destructive fear, and we go to the constructive part, which says, wait a minute. For people who really love you and care about you, they don't care if you're driving a 1965 
pickup or a brand new Maserati. They love you for who you are. And what's most important is that you love you for who you are. That's the voice of constructive fear. It wants to support you. Then here's where the transformation comes from. When you learn not to be held back by the destructive fear and you learn to talk to it and learn to move in a positive direction, your life transforms. Because And that's where transformational fear comes from, because it's just about having that dialogue. And as you said at the beginning, burying a bad memory, a bad experience, a bad message, negative self-talk doesn't do you any good. It just runs in you stronger and harder, just like a problem with the engine in your car, right? (laughs) You can ignore it. You can pretend it's not there, but it's going to blow up. And that's how, right? And so when you are wise enough with that car being yourself to say, wait a second, I hear this, you know, funny noise. Okay, I want to pay attention to it. What's it telling me? Oh, you know, this part needs attention. So we give that part attention and it transforms the mechanics possibly into the most, you know, the the, the smoothest running yeah. vehicle being the self that you've ever had. And we are so afraid of this process, yet there's nothing to be afraid of because we are all meant, and I really believe this regardless of our age, whether we're 12, 20, 50, or 90, we are meant. That is what I believe we're here for on the planet, not to see who can make up make the most money or push somebody around the most or be the meanest. We're here to be our optimal selves, to really learn what that means. And Joy from Fear, what I really love about the book is that I offer it as a guidebook. It's not just a generic self-help book that throws out theories. It actually gives people a step-by-step approach for how to change various parts of their lives. Yeah, I love the fact that you have all these illustrations of... uh... Uh, taken from patients you had or other uh, clients that you know of, and uh, they're they're so revealing. And also, you have a bunch of exercises in there, so a reader didn't just read through. They're they're signed to do various things as they go along, and uh, they may want to scan through the entire book. But then you go back and start doing the exercises and uh, actually transform yourself through those. I love books like that that are constructive. Yeah, really powerful when we look inside the self because often we're so busy trying to change the things outside of us, thinking that new car, new house, new fancy tennis shoes will do the trick. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. It's not that easy. Before we move on, tell us a bit about your own remarkable journey out of what you now label a life of lies into the inspired life you presently lead, helping others to confront their fears. What prompted you to... uh, Uh, perform your own personal transformation? You know, I was raised in a very religious environment, and I'm a believer in spirituality and religion and whatever works for a human being. Yet the way I was raised was to be very, very dutiful and to be afraid of God and to not listen to myself or what was right for me, but to listen to what everybody else said. And many of us are raised that way. And it's very powerful in some positive ways. It keeps us on the straight and narrow, teach us how to be a better person many times, but it also can work um, to hold us back from being the self we want to be and exploring that and figuring out who we want to be. Kind of the Old so Testament was, way, in other words. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, the Old Testament way. Loving self right. and others. <laughs> right. And so I grew up 
being, um, you know, a yes woman, you might say, doing all the right things. And even though when I was quite young, you know, about third grade, I knew I wanted to be a psychologist. I don't know what made me want that. I had seen Lucy in the Charlie Brown strips, and I just identified (laughs) with that position. I thought someday that I'm going to dispense psychological advice for five cents, right, in my little box. And my family had other ideas for me and wanted me to be an attorney and thought that being in the world of psychotherapy or teaching was a step down. And so I tried my best to be the dutiful daughter and then ended up working in the business environment um, because that was the right thing to do, it seemed. And it wasn't, and that was after I had my master's in counseling. And then um, it was about when I turned when I was in my late 30s, and this voice just kept coming to me that said, okay, you have what looks like a right marriage, you're, but you're not happy. You have two beautiful children, and you love them to pieces, but your marriage isn't right. It's, it's, it wasn't a healthy marriage, and it wasn't fulfilling for me. And I went to my husband and said, hey, I really, you know, I've supported you through X, Y, and Z. I need to go back to school. I've got to live my dream. And he was used to me being a very good breadwinner. And he said, no, no, you've had enough. <laughs> you've had enough education. You, know, you have your master's behind you. and You've been in a lot. You know, you have enough. And I realized that that was the end, had to be in some way the end of my marriage. It took a while for me to understand that. So I, working full time, I went back to school in the evenings and weekends with the huge support of my mother and, and my children and um, earned my doctorate while working full time in another industry. And then realized during that journey of doing my doctorate and my dissertation and really doing a lot of self-work, I realized, what held me back from doing this? I knew I wanted to do this in third grade. I realized it was fear. And so I used my dissertation as the opportunity to really investigate what I came to understand as transformational fear, how I had unconsciously transformed my life by being willing to face all of my fears. Fears of not being loved, fear of disappointing my family, fear of being rejected, fear of losing my husband. And I had to face those, acknowledge them, move through them, not compartmentalize them. Life transformed. And it was not an easy journey. My life has not been an easy journey. But I can tell you that as a result of doing that, when I did, that I am now a role model, not just for myself and my children and the people who know me, but for everyone I speak to because I understand the journey. I'm not just preaching it. I've been through it. The the greatest teachers are those who have actually experienced something rather than somebody who just picked up knowledge in a book. (laughs) Yes, it is those who have, and that's why I designed the book Joy from Fear. It was based on this substantial qualitative and quantitative research I did that taught me that, no, this wasn't just my experience, that nearly every person on the planet has been or currently is held back by some form of fear. Yeah, you, and some- uh, and a, you have a byline tips piece. You give an excellent example of how a real-life fearful memory can hold us back. Tell us about the imaginary man Jason, now 35, who battles with lack of self-confidence. What incident caused his destructive memory implanted when he was a young boy that many years later still won't, won't let him go. I think this is such a great example of uh, that type of thing. Right, and what that is is it is that um, all-too-common 
voice of the parent that says, hey, Jason, you will be a failure. That memory. Yeah, he, he, uh, built a little volcano model or something and exploded yeah. in the, the kitchen. Didn't really do any harm, but his father then called him an imbecile or something. Exactly. <laughs> an incompetent and, idiot, I guess it was the term you used. Exactly. And it's that message. And then the father, of course, doesn't realize what harm he's done. Yeah. Yet yeah. the child's brain is so young and malleable and it believes what the parent says. It takes it. You know, there's the prefrontal cortex really isn't um, on board yet. And so the child hears that, introjects it, means places it in the psyche, yeah. and then goes through life. And this poor man did not realize how much something as simple as hearing his father, you know, call him an idiot or an imbecile for a volcano project, something that we've all experienced, the spilt milk on the floor, the car that got dented, the, the yeah. C minus on the English paper, right? Yeah. And so parents don't realize that sometimes these comments that are, you know, sarcastic uh, are actually brutal in nature and yeah. that criticism is very powerful for all of us, but particularly for children, that being a critical, sarcastic human being, as in the case with Jason, planted this memory in him. He did not realize how powerful he was. Yeah. And so he how powerful the memory was, nor did he realize his own power until he started facing this memory and the slew of memories that started coming up because that wasn't a singular memory. It it, you know, carried more with it. And so he well, had how about to learn some good news. You tell us that when it comes to letting go of fearful memories, to trust that you have the power to move forward positively and can you please identify the five letting go skills that we should practice to make our fearful memories fade away? I think those are great, the, the five uh, steps that you talk about. Absolutely. So what I'd ask your listeners to do is to write down these five steps. Number one, observe and detach. Two, notice without judgment. Three, allow the feelings to move through you. Four, Start to let go. Five, replace the negative with positive. Those sound simple, so here are the details. Let's use an example, let's say Jason, with dad being just verbally abusive, right? Sometimes physically abusive. Observe that memory. Notice when it comes up to haunt you. Just notice it. But you you observe it as a a kind of from afar as an observer rather than the painful aspects of it at this point. Exactly. You detach from it as though you're watching a movie. You just watch it without judgment. So that's the first part, learning just to detach as though a movie is playing in front of you, knowing that you as the adult are safe and this is young, the young self, or, you know, maybe (laughs) something happened to you when you weren't so young. Then the second step is, again, now you get to notice without judgment the parts of the memory that have a message, kind of just notice what that brings up for you. Does that memory make you feel rejected? Does it make you feel unworthy, unlovable? Does it make you feel like you can't get anything right? So then you just notice that message again without judgment. Yeah. You can And you can even write that message down. Then, now let's go to the feeling part. Now we get to really have empathy. This is a a really beautiful part. We have empathy 
for that person, that younger self. And we're able to say, oh, okay, how did I feel right then? I felt sad. I felt doomed. I felt rejected. I I felt so hurt. And maybe I felt angry. I wonder you can actually uh, feel you feel like your body's tensing or other physical feelings that you can actually yes. experience. Yes. And that's that that next part of it is once then you get to kind of search your body and say, God, is my throat tightening? Am I feeling chills? Am I am I feeling like a flush of anger? What am I feeling? So you really allow yourself to explore your body because our memories are stored not just in the brain. We think that they're up there in this brain, but they're also in the body because the body experienced a physical reaction during that memory. So we just want to allow it to come without judgment, without being mean to the self or judgmental. Then, and I love this step, then you get to imagine a balloon. And this one, this step uses a dark colored balloon. You get to imagine that you're putting that entire experience, the movie image, the thoughts, the feelings, you can put it all in this dark balloon. Just stuff it in there. And then release the balloon. Let it float up into the sky. You know, just let it go. And the more you practice that, it's not a one-trick wonder, right? It's something that you have to practice every time the memory comes up. Notice the feelings, notice the thoughts, place it in the balloon, let it go. And the more you do that, instead of giving it negative attention, instead of blaming dad or blaming yourself or getting stuck in that emotion, you're just setting the emotion free. You're letting go of the memory. And so here's the next part. This is the last piece. Replace the negative with the positive. Yeah, you can't now, just leave your, your brain hollow. You've got to bring some positive thoughts in to, to replace those well, negative thoughts. Well said, yes. Now we want to do something to replace that. We want to replace it with something that feels good and true. So now we have this beautiful, clear, or opalescent balloon, Right. And now we want to put in the positive messages, the ones that we want to believe, the ones that our better self knows are true, which might be, I am loved, I am worthy, I am capable, I am good, I am honest, I am kind. You know, whatever those those really true feelings are, even ones that you want to believe that you're not quite capable of believing yet. And don't and forget the one that says, I'm intelligent, especially if you, you were called an, you an idiot for, by your father years yes. ago. <laughs> you bet. The one that says, I am intelligent, I am capable, you might even be able to say, I am wise, because that's one of the gifts as we get older. We do become wise, yeah. and we forget that we are not that 12-year-old or 20-year-old or even 30-year-old. Or, you know, we forget that we've learned so much that we have wisdom now so you get to put a word like wisdom in the balloon right and say ah now i can see these and i know these and then you don't have to let this balloon go you can if you want because maybe you want to let it go and create a new one tomorrow or you can just hold on to it tie it to a chair tie it to your wrist right and just imagine that these are the truths these are the truth that you are resilient. You wouldn't be the age you are if you aren't resilient. Well, let's You're talk courageous. about your brand new book, Joy from Fear. Who, who is the book written for? Is it primarily intended for fellow mental health, mental health professionals 
or can a lay person like me also benefit? Oh, my goodness. It is written for the lay people. Okay. Uh, it's why it took me so long to write it. The first draft was very academic, <laughs> and when I turned to reread it, I thought, oh, yuck, I don't want to read this. <laughs> And you're a professional. I'm a professional because it was written as an academic, and that's no fun. That kind of reading is no fun. It's very the kind of uh, publisher parish material that a lot of professors (laughs) put out. I think. Yes, and so I wanted it to be a book that anyone could read. A 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, an 80-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 60-year-old, where anyone could pick up the book and say. This resonates with me. I I identify with this. I understand her language. She's speaking to me. And that's the feedback I've gotten on the book so far is people are telling me, oh, my goodness, it's so easy to read, so inviting, so grounded. That's a word I'm hearing a lot. And that's what I want. This isn't about me impressing somebody with fancy language. This is about me making you feel like I'm with you as you're reading. What I loved about it is so many of those examples fit me or whoever the reader would be. You know, you can relate to them because so many of these examples are so common and and affect so many of us that uh, I thought they were great just to look at those. And that's the beauty of it. You're exactly right because I think that's where comparison comes in. Again, we often think I'm more defective. I'm less defective. I'm I'm smarter, I'm dumber. No, we are all so much alike and our human experiences, you know, on the planet. Yes, there're different situations and different degrees and different levels, but in the in you know, the real root of it is is that we are all so much the same. And every one and of us uses only a small portion of our total capabilities that we have inside if we could only access I know, and we don't do it because we're afraid. We're afraid. We think, who am I to write a book? Who am I to sing a song? Who am I to start a group? Who are you? You're the person who has that passion. And if you push fear away. Teachers or whoever reminded us that we have our limitations, and so we've been afraid to test that theory all our lives, even though we don't realize where this inhibition came from. But. It's it's so common that it's there. Yes, and sadly, so much of what our parents or caregivers told us is based on their fears. They don't even realize that. So we need each one of us to really pause and say, what am I doing with my life? Am Am I filled with joy? And if I'm not, no matter how old I am, it is never too late, ever, never, ever too late to be the person you want to be. No, you can't go back, but you can go forward, and there's no reason to let any fears from the past stop going forward positively. (laughs) You can only live from today forward. (laughs) Absolutely. And and why not? And that's why, you know, there's so much depression and anxiety and stress in our world. And and I really think in in looking at, at joy from fear and turning inward and being that change that you want to, to really see in the world and realizing that you do have the power. You do have the power to 
face your fear, to face your stress, to face your anxiety, and to create a life that you enjoy living. I would say that would be the key message of your book. But uh, Where is the best place for our listeners to go to preview and purchase your book, Joy from Fear? Well, they can find it on Amazon online. They can find it at Barnes & Noble online. They can also ask their local bookseller to order it in if it's not already on the bookshelf. They can also, I welcome readers and listeners, to take a look at my website, drcarlamanley.com. Yeah, that's D-R, right, without spelling out doctors. D-R-carlamanley, M-A-N-L-Y.com. That's it. And they can see me. They can read some of my articles completely free. They can visit me on YouTube. I have a little YouTube site, Dr. Carla Manley. They can see me on Facebook, Dr. Carla Manley. And they can link in there to get previews of my books, see segments, see articles, and then order the book. Um, and I, here's a really lovely piece of the book. If you enjoy working with groups, if you're a member of a of a reading club, a book club, it would be, it is the perfect book for a group of men, a group of women to use in their circle and support each other through the journey. And this is a really important piece of of why I wanted the book to be the way that it is, Roy. That sounds like such a wonderful idea to support others while you're supporting yourself rather than just doing it in isolation. (laughs) Of course, because, Roy, you know, I run a women's group every Thursday night. It's a low-cost women's group. And the magic that happens in that group of the women, you know, I'm the leader, and so I help them. But seeing how much they learn from each other and how much they support each other. And so that's one of the reasons the book is written the way it is, so that if people want to reach out, you know, a mother and a daughter want to do it together, um, a family wants to do it together, it is ideal for that because our journey is not meant to be solo. We are not meant to be alone and struggling in isolation. And so I really recommend that for people who like reading, that um, for the cost of a book, because psychotherapy is very expensive these days, for someone who's self-aware, you know, they can do it with themselves, with a group, they can do it as they're seeing a psychotherapist, you know, whatever suits the person's needs. But I see it as a really good guidebook, a companion. Well, that's wonderful. In conclusion, based on our conversation today with Dr. Carla Marie Manley, I'm certain you'll agree that fear is not the enemy we always thought it to be. In fact, when fear combines with awareness, it can become not an enemy but an ally And uh, the bottom line, a transformative side of fear gives you and me an opportunity to engage in the life of our dreams. And I highly recommend you preview and consider purchase of Dr. Carla Marie Manley's new book, Joy from Fear. It's high time that we bring fear out of the darkness and into the light of day where it belongs. And thanks a million, Dr. Manley, for joining us and continued success in the sale of your new book, your clinical practice, and in spreading your message far and wide. Thank you, Roy. It's been a pleasure and a joy. Have a beautiful day. As we conclude today's program on conquering fear, I'd like to briefly mention one of the primary sources of fear for most of us, 
and that's our job. Or if you're a small business owner or entrepreneur, it's your business success or failure. After all, there are 168 hours in every week. That's a scientific fact. And assuming you get at least seven hours of sleep each night, that leaves about 121 hours. But if you live in a big city and have to commute to work, that's probably five or ten hours a week that reduce the actual free time you have to around 111 hours. So almost half of your waking hours not commuting is spent on the job. And if you're not working, um, that's only if you're not working significant overtime. For some of us, it may be more than half. The bottom line, you need to work at a job or business you admire. You're not uh, stressed out or bored to tears, and you're certainly not constantly worried over your future in the job you hold now. And I just want to point out that I've written a book specifically addressing the leadership challenge of uh, directing a department, division, or entire enterprise where employees are positively motivated but not stressed out or bored by lack of challenge. And uh, it's a book which uh, both written both for enlightened leaders and persons of influence, whether or not uh, currently leaders or aspiring for a leadership role who are seeking uh, to... Um, revive an underperforming organization of any size, large or small. As experienced persons of middle age, every one of us uh, can lead and inspire on the job and uh, contribute to team morale and overall performance. And the book's title is Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. The subtitle is Recreating and Re-Energizing Lagging Enterprises and Participants Midstream. And, of course, it's by me, Roy C. Richards. And my book does not attempt to address every critical management challenge confronting leaders. My more modest objective is to assist in addressing ten basic leadership challenges. One, are there common early warning signs that can inform us when our enterprises need to be renewed? Can we spot negative trends before stagnation sets in or decline becomes irreversible? Two, how best do we identify tangible and intangible enterprise strengths upon which to build? How do we tap into inherent company advantage in building our collective future? Three, what, if anything, can we learn from examining golden interludes from our organization's past? Does it make sense to uh, resurrect abandoned market strategies or operational success formulas which might apply today? Obviously, they may need to be modified for today's enterprise uh, or Internet-dominated world, but uh, they still might work to some degree. Four, how do we, would you propose to maximize long-range enterprise value if short-term budget constraints and quarterly earnings swings no longer were, were of concern? Can we really manage for the long term? Five, how best can we synchronize between individual and collective goals? Is it possible to satisfy most employee career aspirations at the same time we excel as a whole? And I mean realistic career aspirations. Not everyone can be CEO after all. Six, how do we empower frontline employees without disrupting essential work patterns 
and alienating our prize incumbent managers and executives? And seven, how will we recruit veteran onboard employees as fellow agents of change, perhaps one of the most difficult challenges, as everyone wants to protect their turf, don't they? Is it realistic to challenge entrenched employees to think fresh thoughts and attempt new methods? And here's number eight, how do we combine the best of the old with the new so that we can uh, retain core enterprise mission and satisfy our present customer base at the same time we upgrade products, distribution methods, and services, recruit new customers, and enhance operations? And nine, how best do we navigate through the difficult transition terrain? Can we continue to meet deadlines and fulfill short-term obligations as we radically transform our enterprise? And 10, uh, one of the biggest challenges, is it possible to capture and lock in a culture of perpetual innovation? You know, some companies innovate like crazy for six months or a year and then lapse back into a state pattern, which just doesn't work these days. How do we uh, prevent lapse into discarded thought and behavior patterns and outmoded methods of operation, which just don't work in today's 24-7 Internet orders uh, world? Well, I invite you to preview and purchase my book, Wake Up, Captain and Crew, by Roy C. Richards. You'll find it on Amazon dot com barnesandnoble.com and through our website middleagerenewal.com now let's go all out go all go out and recharge our workplaces and never forget one of the key mantras of this program it is possible to have fun and find fulfillment while you earn a living and that's a proven 100% fact and bye for now speak to you next week on middle age can be your best age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 